Welcome to Simple Truth, the teaching ministry of Pastor Eddie Turner and Family Worship Center in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Through the practical and simple explanation of God's Word, Pastor Eddie has taught the Word of God to thousands of people around the world. The following message is from a recent service at Family Worship Center in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Let's join Pastor Eddie as he shares simple truths from God's Word. Romans chapter 12, verse number 1. We're so glad you're here today. I've got 30 minutes, so let's, let's jump right into this. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. So, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all He has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind He will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship Him. Verse 2. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. The question that I've asked more than any other in all these years of ministry is, Pastor, what do you think God's will is for my life? And this scripture lets us know real quickly and very simply that to really know God's will for our life, you can't think like the world thinks. You've got to think like God thinks. Satan operates in the arena of thought. Satan operates in the arena of thought. If he is unable to control and influence your thought life, he cannot dominate you. Did you hear me? If he is unable to control and influence your thought life, he cannot dominate you. Turn with me real quickly to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. Let's look at Acts chapter 5. Let's begin with verse 1. But there was a certain man named Ananias who with his wife Sapphira sold some property. Everybody say sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept back some of the money for yourself. Verse 4, the property was yours to sell or not to sell as you wish. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How would you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. Now here's the story. The story is very simple. The people were bringing their money to give to the apostles so that the apostles could distribute it amongst the needy in their community. And there was this couple named Ananias and Sapphira who also wanted to give some money. And they sold a piece of property and they brought a portion of the profits or a portion of that money and gave it to the apostles to give. But they give the impression and they told people that they had given all of the money. And the and uh, the the Bible says the apostle said to them, "Why did you you didn't lie to us? You lied to God. The money was yours. The property was yours. You didn't have to sell it. Nobody made you sell it. You chose to sell it. 
And then once you sowed it, you didn't have to give any of the money. God didn't require that. You could have given a portion of the money, a little bit of the money. But you led people to believe that you gave all of the money so that you could be popular and important in the church. And he said, you've, not done it. you've lied not to us, but you lied to God. Now look at verse 5. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Now I'm going to tell you, that's some kind of offering right there. That's the reason we have first responders here at Family Worship Center. We're not, we're not too concerned about people slipping and falling in the parking lot. It's that the offering, they've got to be careful. We're expecting some people to fall over here if they don't straighten up. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Can I get an amen? amen? Now the question is this. How did Satan How did Satan fill Ananias' heart with this deceptive scheme? Notice what he says in verse 3. Then Peter said, Ananias, why has, have you let Satan fill your heart? How did Satan fill Ananias' heart? The Bible says he filled his heart. Well, how did he fill his heart? With this deceptive scheme. Did Satan take a container of deception and physically open Ananias' mouth and pour deception down Ananias' throat and it went to his heart? Well, we know that didn't happen. Well, then how did he get, how did he fill his heart? He said, You have filled, you've allowed your heart to be filled with deception. How did that happen? How did Satan fill Ananias' heart? Let me give you another instant, another chapter. Turn with me to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Both of these just happen to talk about money. It seems like when it comes to money, we, get, uh, we struggle as humans more than anything else. Acts chapter 8, verse 14. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. Verse 18. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given when the apostles laid their hands on people, he offered them money to buy this power. Let me have this power too, he exclaimed so that when I lay my hands on people, they will receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 20. But Peter replied, May your money be destroyed with you for thinking. Everybody say thinking. For thinking God can be bought. You can have no part in this, for your heart is not right with God. Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps He will forgive your evil thoughts, for I see that you are full of bitter jealousy and are held captive by sin. Now, the question is this. How did Simon... How did Simon get to the place that Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells him, you are full of bitter jealousy and are held captive by sin? Look what it says in verse 23 again. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. It says Simon was poisoned by by bitterness and bound by iniquity. How did Simon get poisoned? How did he get poisoned? How did he get bound? Did someone give him poison to drink? Did someone take ropes and bind Simon? Listen, the things that bind us up in life, 
Whether somebody's done us wrong. Some of you understand exactly what I'm getting ready to say. Somebody's done us wrong. They hurt us. They injured us. They hurt us. They injured our family. They spoke very hurtful words. And it it, it bothers us. It offends us. And it might have happened three years ago or two months ago or six months ago or ten years ago. But you can replay that conversation like it happened yesterday. And it's got you bound up. Bubba, stand up. If somebody does Bubba wrong and offends Bubba, and Bubba allows that thing to torment him night and day, it's not that this person has bound Bubba with ropes. There's no ropes around Bubba. Well, how is he bound? He's bound right up here in his head. In fact, some of you this morning have come to this church. You look free, but you're bound up. People have said things, people have done things, situations have happened, events have taken place in your life that have caused you crises and traumatic injury emotionally, and it's got you bound up. You've allowed your destiny to be defined by your catastrophe. And we must stop allowing our destiny to be defined by the catastrophe that happens in our life. And the reason it happens is because right up here, Because there's nobody binding you up. There's no ropes around you. There's no chains holding you. It's right up here. We must understand, Satan operates in the arena of thought. He operates in the arena of thought. If he cannot control and influence your thought life, he cannot dominate you. I want to show you a list of beautiful people super talented people that their minds got away from them. Robin Williams, wonderful comedian. One of the funniest guys I've ever seen, Robin Williams. Dave Myra, 41, BMX. You BMX riders will know exactly who he was. Sawyer Sweeten, the childhood actor on Everybody Loves Raymond. When he was a kid. He was one of two. A twin. Jovan Belcher. 25 year old linebacker. Headed to the Pro Bowl. For the Kansas City Chiefs. Mindy McCready. One of our own Nashville girls. 37. Fantastic singer. Every one of these individuals. Felt so hopeless. They prematurely ended their life. Prematurely ended their life. So bound up in their minds. You say, well, them, them movie stars and them music artists, they're messed up anyway. Let me tell you something. Mental torment is no respecter of persons. Mental torment is no respecter of persons. Let me give you an example. Isaac Hunter, 36, pastor of Summit Church, Orlando, Florida, with five cap- campuses, had thousands attend his services across his campuses. John Gibson, renowned professor at New Orleans Seminary, taught some of the greatest pastors and theologians of the modern era. Teddy Parker, African-American pastor of a great church, uh, Bib Mount Baptist Church in Macon, Georgia. These are pastors. These are ministers who felt so hopeless. They prematurely ended their life. Bound up in their minds. See, if Satan cannot dominate and control your thought life, he cannot dominate your life. 
But mental torment is no respecter of persons. Did you know, and you know this, many of you read the papers, over the last three months in Rutherford County, three people consumed by hopelessness have jumped to their death from bridges into oncoming traffic on I-24. In the last three months, three people in our county have jumped off the bridges over the interstate into traffic to end their life. Nameless people, not famous people with all the stress of Hollywood and the world clamor, just regular people, overcome with hopelessness and mental torment. Almost continually nowadays, every day, it's, it's becoming so uh, continuous, it doesn't even shock us any longer that our news is dotted with stories of individuals whose mental torment is causing them to commit horrific acts of violence against innocent people. It's happening so much in the world, we don't even let it bother us any longer. Did you know that Jesus came to set mankind free? Spiritually, emotionally, mentally, financially, and physically. He is still the answer for our nation's ills. Look at Luke chapter 4 verse 18. Notice Luke chapter 4 verse 18. This is what Jesus said about himself. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Financial deliverance. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released. Emotional deliverance. That the blind will see. Physical deliverance. And that the oppressed will be set free. Spiritual deliverance. For years the church has confined its teaching and its ministry emphasis to the spirit of man. And it should because that's the seed of our existence. But at the same time, God's Word gives us instruction and answers to every part of your life. Not just the spiritual part, but every part of your life. Look with me at 1 Thessalonians 5. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5. Paul talks to the Christians at Thessalonica. They're people just like you and I. They just lived in a different city at a different time in history. And this is what he says. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. I didn't come up with it. It's not my idea. And it doesn't fit today with the easy gospel. But he says he wants us holy in every way. I didn't, I didn't say that. He said it. He said it. Don't shoot the messenger. All right? He said it. He wants us holy in every way. Look at verse 23. May the God of peace make you holy in every way. In every way. We are strong in the teaching on remaining holy in our spirits, being born again, and we need to be. But the Lord also wants us to be holy in our soul, our mind, our will, and emotions, and in our bodies. He wants us to be holy in our bodies. Let me, let, me, let me take a few moments just to tell you what it means to be holy in your body. Now, I come from the Pentecostal tribe. You've got to understand, I come from the, a group of those old fogies. Pentecostal tribe, back when it wasn't pop, when it was not popular. In fact, um, uh, they used to throw rocks at my granddaddy for preaching the gospel. 
said, we don't want no Pentecostal preachers in our, uh, in our city. So I came from the Pentecostal tribe that the women wore long hair and you, the men couldn't have their hair over their ears and your women couldn't wear makeup. Oh, Jesus, help us. Help us all, help us all, help us all. And uh, I, I came from that. I came from that. And, and just to be honest, we thought that was being holy. That to be holy in body meant that the women didn't cut their hair because a woman's glory is her hair. And, uh, and that you don't wear makeup because Jezebel had on makeup. And you don't want to be a Jezebel. I'd, <laughs> I'd, rather, I'd rather hang out with a pretty Jezebel than an ugly Myrtle any time. I'll, just, I'll, just I'll take my chances with Jezebel. Uh, I believe the Holy Ghost in me can overcome that, that makeup. Here's, here's what I never understood about that. Even as a young child, I didn't understand. Holy meant for the women to have long hair. But some of those women that I'd get around, their tongues were longer than their hair. And the Bible says, death and life's in the power of the tongue. Death and life is not in the length of your hair. See, But we didn't, we, we, we were just kind of, we had it confused on that holy deal. So then we went the other way. Then we lost all moderation whatsoever. And, 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 and now, now there's no moderation. And now it, you, you, if you're going to be holy, you've got to have tattoos. I mean, if you really want to be hip and Christian, you've got to have tattoos. So, you know, I, I was watching these preachers on TV, and I like to watch preachers, and I like to learn and grow. And, and you know, I realized, you know, I need a tattoo. I see these young guys up here, and they got all these, they hold their sleeves up, and they got all these tattoos on them. I said, that's what my ministry needs, a tattoo. That's the only thing I'm lacking is a tattoo. So I went to get me a tattoo. And I went over there to the tattoo shop, and uh, uh, I sat down there, and I said, he said, what do you want? And I thought about it. I thought about it. He said, where do you want it? I said, I want it right here. I know, I know, I was going to get that bob wire, you know, but he looked at my arm. He said, I don't, you're, you've got such guns, I don't have enough ink to go around. I said, I understand. I said, people tell me that all the time. Um, so I said, I tell you what, I want my wife's name. He said, well, that's sweet. I said, yeah. He's, I said, I want her name. So he started, he said, well, sit down here. And he, he started getting the ink out. And, and I rolled my sleeve up. And he was starting messing around there, getting it ready. And I saw right there on his little desk, it said, cash only. So I said, uh, you don't take credit cards? He said, no, cash only. I said, you mean green cash? He said, yeah, cash only. I said, I got a visa. What about debit card? You take a debit card? Cash only. I said, no. So I got my, I said, hold on a second. I got my billfold out, and I looked, and I had enough cash. I said, how much? He said, so much a letter. I had enough cash for four letters. <laughs> A-M-A-N. A man. He said, you want to put a man on there? 
I said, well, a lot of us are, a lot of people nowadays are confused about their identity, so maybe, maybe I, I said, no, I, I'll come back later when I have enough money, cash for the D and the A, all right? So I never got a tattoo, dadgummit. Uh, can I still get one? I think, thank you very much. We thought, we've gotten confused when he says, be holy in your body. We didn't really understand what that meant because we didn't look at the scripture properly. Let me show you what he's talking about. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 15. Paul is talking to Christians at Corinth. Notice what he says. Don't you realize that your bodies are parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the scripture says, the two are united into one. But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Verse 18. Run. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. He says this, verse 19, Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. These verses here give us some amazing insight into physical intimacy and why physical intimacy should be reserved for couples who are married, who join themselves together in holy matrimony. Now, what I'm getting ready to tell you, I, 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 I type out my word, my sermons. I write them word for word. I'll spend... 8 to 16, 20 hours a week working on one message. And I type them out. After I do my research, I type them out word for word. Study and pray, I type them out word for word. I typed this section out three times and deleted it. Because I don't want to go here. Because I know I run a chance of making some people mad and they might not come back. And you can go to a lot, several churches in this city who are a lot bigger than us, and they won't go here. They're not going to talk about it. They don't want to lose half their crowd. See? But I, I can't get away from it. I can't get away from it. So let me, but let me tell you, I don't know nobody. I don't know a specific incident. I'm not recalling an incident. I don't, I don't have nobody in mind. I want you to understand what I'm getting ready to say. I don't have anybody. Don't anybody elbow their, whoever their partner said. Did you go tell him? I, he, <laughs> nobody has told me anything. I just see how culture, culture is today. And I see the culture and the line of thinking that they are forcing upon our children and our grandchildren. You need to think this way. And as a pastor who loves you, I, I want to tell you what the Word says. Okay, I'm not fussing. I want to reveal to you why it's important that you save yourself for your God-given mate. 
I just want to show that to you, all right? Now, look at verse 15 again, 1 Corinthians six fifteen. Don't you realize that your bodies are parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the scriptures say these two are united into one, but the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Listen, when we have physical intimacy with someone, it is far more than just friends with benefits. I know that's what the world says. And I, and I know that has its benefits. Oh man, it's exciting. It's wonderful. It's a thrill. It makes your flesh feel good. But it's more than just friends with benefits. God says we become one with the person with whom we have intimacy. That's what really happens. One. Our bodies are part of Christ. So should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, which is holy, and join it to someone who is unholy? Would Christ ever join himself to a devil? No. Yet the Bible says our bodies are Christ. We're a part of Christ. We are the body of Christ. And our body is part of Christ. So when we go join ourselves in physical intimacy with someone who's not serving the Lord, we in turn are joining ourselves to someone who is yoked up with the devil. And the Bible says spiritually, that's not proper. That's not good. That's not what we as Christians should do. Notice verse 18. Run from sexual sin. No other sin clearly affects the body as this one does. Now notice this next line. We often, we, we forget this one. Overlooked it. In fact, some of you, as you read it, you're going to say, I didn't know that was in there. But it's in here. Look what it says. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Do you realize most of us, when we think about sinning, I know for me, when I think about sinning, I think about trespassing against God. Sinning against God. Well, I've sinned. I've, I've displeased God. Or, or if we do somebody wrong or somebody does us wrong, they sinned against us. If you lied about me, you didn't lie against God. You lied about me. You did me wrong. Or if I talk about somebody that I shouldn't talk about them, I've, I've, a, I've sinned against that family. I've sinned against that man. So when we think about sinning, we think about sinning against God or sinning against somebody else. But this scripture says, when we get involved in sexual immorality or have physical intimacy outside the boundaries of marriage, we sin against our own body. You sin against yourself. So you see, the Lord is not wanting to prohibit you from having a good time He just don't want you to damage yourself. He doesn't want us to hurt ourselves. It's possible to sin against ourselves, to do ourselves wrong. Paul says, tells us when we are physically intimate with someone, we become one with that person. 
It's easy to understand the being one physically. We understand that. If I have physical intimacy with my wife, I become one with her physically. I understand that. Anybody you have physical intimacy with or who've had physical, you understand. You get together, you become one physically. We understand that. But in reality, for that moment, we become one not only physically, but emotionally and spiritually. We are joined to them. We are joined to them. Now listen to this. Take heed to this. The act of physical intimacy can be finished and over. But unfortunately, the emotional attachment and spiritual attachment is not over. That memory has to be managed for years. And the spiritual disconnect that must take place requires work in the spirit realm. See, the Lord said, you become one. Physical intimacy, you become one. You not only just become one physically, you become one emotionally, and you become one spiritually. And they, you can stop the physical. Well, I, I ain't seeing them no more. I'm not seeing her no more. I'm not seeing her no more, Pastor. I'm, that's, a, that's a fine. But you still got to manage the memory. And there's a spiritual disconnect that must take place. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you understand exactly what I'm talking about. You've been in a relationship with someone years ago, and, and, uh, and then you were with them. Physically, had physical intimacy with them. And and then the relationship didn't work out. It didn't work out. And then two or three years later, you see them at the grocery store. You see them at the ball game. You see them at church. And you know, nobody knows. It's over with. Forgotten. Except in your mind. And you have to manage that. You have to manage it. Has God forgiven you? Of course he's forgiven you. Yes, he has. If you've repented, he's forgiven. But you still have to manage it. It's a memory. It's a memory. And you become one spiritually. Spiritually. Now let me take this a step further. This is where it really gets tough. When I become one with a person, in the physical intimacy and become one emotionally and one spiritually with them. It might be for a moment, a one-night stand, but it happens for a moment. I become one with them. Understand this. I'm also becoming one with everybody they've been one with. I've had to exercise more devils out of children who were sexually abused than any other age person I've ever had to deal with in spiritual ministry. Because that perverted, evil spirit got in that child through abuse. See, we become one with them. And then whoever they've been one with 
a part of that person gets in us. And if they've had multiple sex partners for years and we become one with them for that moment, we get a portion of them. We are one with that person forever. It might have happened for a moment, but we're one with them. And we got to manage that. You say, well, I don't, I don't believe that. Well, okay. How many, of you, how many of you have been married for 10 years? Raise your hand. All right? Let me ask you something. When you go to a restaurant and if your spouse is not with you and they've gone to the restroom or they've parked the car or something and the waiter comes, you can order for them, can't you? Well, I know what they're going to want to drink. I know what they want. How many times have you been talking and your wife finishes your sentence? How many times have you said, man, I was thinking the same thing. I, I, I was thinking the same exact thing. You were, I, I would have said the same thing you said. That's exactly. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You know why that happens? Because you've become one with them. You're one with them. You're one. So, see, the Lord is not trying to tell us here to be holy, to keep us from fun. He don't want to keep you from fun. He don't want to keep me from fun. He just wants to keep us from the mental torment and all the junk we have to deal with. You say, well, Pastor, I, I didn't know this. I didn't know it. And I've had... Physical intimacy with several people through my life. What, how do I do? How do I get, uh, man, how do I get, how do I disconnect? Well, physically, it's not hard. Just don't do it no more. <laughs> Granny used to say it this way. I said, Granny, it hurts when I do that. She said, well, don't do that. <laughs> so if it's physically, don't have any more physical intimacy with people that God hadn't brought into your life to be your lifelong partner. Emotionally, how do you disconnect? You have to manage your thought life concerning the memory by renewing your mind with the Word of God. You know how com- comfortable it is. I, I was just at a little lunch here recently, uh, about a month ago, with some classmates that I graduated high school from in 1976. How long ago was that? 1976. A long time. 41. Was that 41 years? Sheesh, Bubba, I'm depressed. I've got to manage my thought life. I sat down beside a, a buddy of mine. We were friends in high school. We were over at Buca de Peppas. Glory to God. And Cool Springs. And we're sitting there talking, laughing. There's about 12 of us. And all of a sudden, this girl walks in. He goes, oh. I said, what's wrong? He said, she's here. I said, who's here? And he called and he said, I said, well, yeah, we went to school with her. She's invited. She went. He said, but I was with her in high school. 41 years later, he's still dealing, managing the memory. 41 years later. So how do you do that? Say, Pastor, I've got these memories. I've got this, this, this. This girl and that girl and this girl. And a few years later, it was this guy and then this guy. And, you know, how do you manage all of that? When the memories come and you see them and then 
And you know, Satan hits you at a crazy time with your memories. And, and then you marry God's person in your life. And, and then you get in that premarital counseling. Is there anything you need to tell them? And, and you, you know, you've got, you know, you got to manage all that stuff. How do you manage it? By getting your mind renewed with the Word of God. By letting God's Word wash you and cleanse your memory. You might never forget the event, but the pain and the burden and the baggage and the shame and the embarrassment, God can wipe that completely away. And you can use it to be a teaching moment instead of a curse to your life. How do you manage it spiritually? Physically, you just don't do it no more and you're disconnected. Mentally, how do you manage it? You just get your mind renewed with the Word of God. Instead, when that memory comes up, that scene comes up, and you rehearse that moment in your life, you, you, you say, no, I'm not going to dwell on that, and you replace that with God's Word and what God's doing in your life now. And it mean, eventually that will wipe that sting away. But then how do you do it spiritually? How do you, how do you remove that connection spiritually? Because you become one. Here you go. Turn to 1 John 1, 9. You've heard this one, haven't you? If we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to do what? Cleanse us from what? How much wickedness? Not just a portion. Not just a little bit. Not just the things that... It's not that bad. He cleanses us from all wickedness we sin against ourselves and do ourselves wrong when we give ourselves sexually to people who are not God's will for our life you're not doing God wrong you're not doing God wrong you're doing yourself wrong and the Lord loves you so much he loves me so much he says listen I don't want you to have to deal with this pain the rest of your life. But if you do, here's a way that I can help you through it. Next week, we'll talk about holiness in the thought life. Remember, he says, I want you holy in every way, spirit, soul, and body. Today, we talked about body. Next week, we're going to talk about the mind, will, and emotions. Staying holy in our thinking. All right? Stand with me, would you?